Hello, and welcome to the Ringer NBA show. It's The Answer. I'm your host, Chris Ryan. And where we're going, we don't need fours. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older. 18 and older in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. Whether it's taking all your little ones to their sporting events or everybody getting together and taking a ride to the beach, the all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped for any adventure. With features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or standard third row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to The Answer. This week on The Answer, we're asking the question, do positions even matter anymore? As we go further into the season, as we go further into uh, human history, it just seems like positions matter less and less. It seems like the best players are the players who are the most flexible, who can play point guard from the power forward position, who can play the dunker position from the point guard position. And in my conversation with Sir Sohi that you're about to hear, can play the Draymond position, which is a position that is really only like less than a decade old. But Sir wrote a really cool piece on Yahoo about this new generation of players like Lou Dort and uh, Xavier Tillman and Eric Paschal who are coming into the league and using Draymond almost as a paradigm to find like a new position and a new place of value. But there's like a dark side to that too, right? Which is what happens when you're somebody like Ben Simmons or Zion Williamson, who is unbelievably talented, two unbelievably talented players, but don't seem to quite fit in in any one spot on the court with their teams. And because of that, I think get a lot of fair and unfair speculation about how they're being used by their coaches, whether or not they're surrounded by the right talent or whether the problem is them and they don't really fit in anywhere. And this idea of fit, we talk a lot about like in terms of putting together a bunch of superstars, but really what happens is it's the guys like Danny Green, it's the guys like J.J. Redick, it's the guys like Mikhail Bridges who make other players seem logical and seem like they fit on a court. So I wanted to talk to Sirit Sohi about her article about the new Draymonds because I thought that was a really interesting way of talking about positions. And then I talked to Rob Mahoney because I wanted to put together a super lineup of positionless players. So Rob was nice enough to join me again on The Answer. Let's get into the show right now. Now I'm joined by Yahoo Sirit Sohi, and she wrote this article about Draymond Green. She wrote an article about the idea that Draymond Green is almost a position unto himself that now new players coming into the league are filling in. So I want to talk to her about that. And I thought it was a fascinating piece because you identified a bunch of guys whose value I think are we're, we're only just now starting to understand. So before we get into our conversation about like, positions and how we're thinking about positions in the league across the board. Can you just tell me a little bit about what attracted you to this idea in the first place? Like, was there a, a big bang moment that you were like, I think I, I think Lou Dort is also part of this. 
Yeah, there actually was. Uh, I was watching. I was watching the Rockets take on the Thunder in the playoffs, and there were a few moments where Stephen Adams just couldn't close out on PJ Tucker, who's obviously playing the five. And then they had to put Lou Dort in at the five. Yeah, and he is six four. It was already crazy that PJ Tucker, six five center, was starting. Um, and that was a response to that. It was it was a natural response, and it was a right response. The Thunder played way better with him at the five. Um, and they went away from it, which is, I think, why they lost the series. And uh, it was just kind of interesting to me. You know, you didn't have the Warriors in the playoffs, but Steven Adams is being squeezed on both sides. He just can't get away from this thing that Draymond started. Like, on one end, it's who he can't defend. And then on the other end, like, there's this there's this young guy who's coming for his spot. And if you watch Steven, like, I know we're going to talk about this later, but if you watch Steven Adams now, not exactly fitting on offense. No, I mean, I almost now wonder whether or not Steven Adams was like an enormous tax for like a locker room guy. Like that that he was brought in now. You can almost mm-hmm. make the argument that he's there to give veteran leadership and just like establish like a certain culture at the Pelicans because obviously on court, it doesn't really work. The way I don't buy that theory at all <laughs> about <laughs> veteran leadership, I feel like they signed some guys and then they were like, yeah, That'll that'll play well. They had Drew Holiday last year. They've had JJ Redick for the past two years. They have veteran leadership. Sure. Especially since I feel like Griff is also I read KOC's piece uh earlier this week. Griff was trying to roll Bledsoe into that as well. I was like, no, 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 no. You guys got Bledsoe on the back end of that deal because that's who you got. Okay. Right. <laughs> I see what they were trying to do, which is like mm. they have like the young guys and then they have like this mix of old guys so that the young guys never turn into the wolves. And wind up not knowing how, right. like, which way is up at all. But they're only like a few steps better than the Wolves to owe Stephen Adams this much money. Also, the Wolves beat them. Yeah, that's so true. How much better are they really? They made, I mean, they made the Wolves look real smart on offense. Yes, which is impossible. So I wanted yeah. to ask you about this idea that um, I've been thinking about, especially as regards to Ben Simmons, which I think has become like a little bit of an obsession of mine this season. But it's like, where is he appropriately situated on the court? If there's like the physical, like where does he stand part? And then there is the conceptual, like, do we think of him as a point guard? Do we think of him as a four? Or are we starting to introduce like a certain new kind of lexicon of the way we think about players, like whether it's the dunker or like a Clint Capella roller or a guy who is, you know, there's all, all sorts of like a, a huge constellation of terms we could use. Is that a better way to think about these guys and does it change their value at all? Because I thought like your idea here that the Draymond is almost a new position that mm-hmm. you could look for was fascinating. I mean, there's no question to me that it changes the value of the players. Um, one of the things I noticed while reporting that article was just the fact that once you name something, you start seeing it everywhere. Like that's a phenomenon that you, that you see in life all the time. And it was, it was playing to the detriment of a lot of these guys because they were doing these things in the court. And a lot of the people I talked to just, one of the things that, that stuck out was the scouts were just like, you just don't, don't doubt winning. If the guy is contributing to winning plays, this was uh, this was from one of the college scouts that scouted Grant Williams said, if the guy's making winning plays, don't outsmart yourself just because you can't find a way to put it in a box. It's probably just something that you don't quite understand yet. And just because you can't understand it doesn't mean it's not effective. And that definitely, I think plays a role with a lot of guys in the league. So yeah, to that like to, to that point, definitely it changes your it changes your value just because like this league is a lot more I think uh, a lot more vain than I think people realize it. Is, yeah. Right, like a lot of people are out to win press conferences and 
you know, if you can't quite explain what you're going for with a certain player, then I think it, A, it makes it harder for you to recognize. And it also makes it harder for you to sell, which matters on every level. It matters when you're, you know, uh, scouting and you're trying to convince your head coach or your GM or somebody else. And then for the GM, it's like, you're trying to convince the owner. And then, you know, that's going to be, that's going to be defined depending on the franchise you are. Some of that is going to be defined by how the media will, will perceive a certain selection too. Uh, but yeah, it's inter- it's interesting. I think I'm kind of I'm kind of going to this place where my my pet theory now watching the Heat, watching the Sixers has become that you can you're allowed to have if you're really smart and if the other shooters around you are really good and they can make plays, you're allowed to have two guys that aren't very good at shooting on the, on the court. Right. And I think that's kind of where the Sixers are sort of are sort of getting to. Yeah, like it it's a little bit feast or famine with them. Mm-hmm. I think like when you are you're just like holding your breath hoping it's a good Danny Green night basically. I mean mm-hmm. like like last night I thought it was crucial that Tobias Harris I'm recording this on Thursday but on the Wednesday night game against the Lakers Tobias Harris scored the game winning shot and I was like that's actually probably the recipe because by the very end of the game likely Joel is probably going to be a little bit gassed. Like no matter what good shape he's in, the amount of usage that he's getting right now is going to make it so that in those final minutes of the game, he's probably going to be a little bit more tired than he was in like the third quarter. And Simmons just can't manufacture a half-court offense for himself or sometimes for others either. So it's like Tobias really has to step up and be that end-of-the-game guy for the Sixers. I think you're right about the Heat too. I think we see the problem with that when you look at somebody like the Pelicans, a team like the Pelicans that just don't like somehow does not have the shooting. Yeah, exactly. I think the problem with the Pelicans right now is that it's not to me that they aren't playing well. It's that they're not even allowing themselves to figure out who they should be. And it's because of their lack of shooting. I remember watching, like you can, like one of the things you can look at is, hey, does Steven Adams fit with Zion Williamson? I think that's a worthy question to ask yourself if you're building around Zion. That's good information for later down the line. But if Eric Bledsoe is also starting, and you're also going to throw like Nikhil Alexander Walker into the mix. And I, and I, I hate saying this. I hate saying this. My Canadian brother. Um, <laughs> and I was watching this play and you have Adams running a dribble handoff on one end, which is smart. And I think it's with Ingram. So he's, you know, he's on one end of the court and the defense is zoned in on that because they don't want Ingram to get open. Um, and that's, that's, and on the other side, you had Zion with the ball and that's kind of perfect, right? Because hypothetically the court should then be open, but it's yes. not because Eric Bledsoe was still in the game. And I think defenses have very quickly figured out how good Zion is in the paint. So now you have to figure out a way to make that, that equation just way, way harder than it is right now with the guys that they have on the floor. And it's honestly like, it really frustrates me because they have the guys. Yeah. I cannot understand for the life of me why JJ Redick isn't starting on this team. It's another, by the way, great veteran leader who's actually a great veteran leader. Do you think that that's just, (laughs) that's just SVG like defense orthodoxy and like him not liking JJ getting, getting targeted like even early in a game but that's not who jj is anymore it's like he thinks jj is a guy that he coached way back when when he couldn't start him and even yeah. then by the way i think you should have started him i was a big proponent of starting jj reddick in 2010 and i still am <laughs> he's a lot better at defense now he's a lot smarter do you have like 2010 tweets that are like start jj i was thank goodness i wasn't tweeting in 2010 <laughs> But for a guy like Zion, so obviously the emergence of Draymond is tied to the emergence of the death lineup and this idea. I mean, obviously Iguodala comes in for Boga in that lineup, but Draymond kind of blossoms into this defensive stopper slash playmaker. 
And I think that's a lineup that was thought of as like, in case of emergency or like, this is the thing that we close with, or this is especially potent in the playoffs. And now we're, however many years later, five, six years later, seven years later, and we're looking at this Pelicans team, for example. And I think that the, it would, logic would suggest that Zion should play five, right? Like Zion should be mm-hmm. the Draymond, like the, like the world killing Draymond at the five for the Pelicans. And that would change the dynamics of that team entirely. Why is that still kind of thought of as like a taboo idea then? I couldn't answer that question because I think he should be playing center. Yeah. I don't even think it's, I don't think it's even really that big of a question. Uh, Super small sample size, but when Zion and Ingram play together and Zion's at the center, they're, they're plus 19 and they don't go, they're not close to plus 19 with anything else, especially when you put Adams at center. And I, th- I think it doesn't allow, like, again, like it just doesn't allow you to even figure out, like, I think people, people are already asking the question of do Zion and Ingram fit together. Right. I think they fit together perfectly, at least, at least on paper. They're two very different players who dominate on different ends of the court and you can put them in a pick and roll together and it should all work out. Like who in the NBA is going to be switchy enough that they can guard both of those guys. Like that's kind of a pick and roll that you're going to have to guard straight up. And they both have a lot in their bag in terms of things they can do off of it. Um, obviously Zion's not going to be popping anytime soon, but other than that, like they kind of, they kind of got it. Um, but you're never going to figure that out. If all you have to do is just help off Adam's guy. Do you think that that's just like Zion adopting some, adapting some like AD-esque, like I, I, I don't want to put my body through playing center early in the season stuff? Maybe. I don't know that he necessarily, you necessarily want his body to be going through closing out on fours either. Like what is really the most taxing position at this point? Is it even playing center? It right. feels like they're trying to keep him close to the rim anyways. They're kind of like, they're not necessarily switching, but I feel like they're doing some matchup switching where he's pretty much camped out in the lane all the time anyways. He's not really doing a lot of moving around. And he's the heaviest player in the NBA. Like, who's really, you know, who's backing him down? This isn't really that league anymore. Right. Um, obviously, the best guys in the league will be able to do it. They're going to be able to do it to anybody. It doesn't really matter who you put in at center if it's going to be Anthony Davis, right? Um, but aside, aside from that, like, I just kind of wonder, it's like, do you really want somebody with his dimensions to be running all over the court, trying to guard fours. I don't know if that's ever going to be tenable for him in his career, but I do see like a future where, you know, he figures out angles and he can be a rim protector and he can kind of like, he doesn't really have the wingspan. I don't think he'll ever be like that intuitive of a defender, which also just gets to my other thing of like, if you're building on around Zion, obviously any team that has championship aspirations has to take that end of the floor seriously, but I don't really see how, like that can be your identity. Yeah, that, that can't be like a pen. You can't be punitive against him for like exactly. his interior defense. That should be like the seventh thing that you care about with him, right? Exactly. Exactly. You should be running a lot more than they are. Probably playing Lonzo a lot more too. But it's fascinating, like how like we tend to punish guys like Zion and Ben for their weirdness I guess for lack of a better term like they're almost like you get punished if you're like a great player who doesn't have a fixed position rather than a guy like Lou Dort who's basically like exceeding expectations for that same sort of positional flexibility I wonder if that's just because Lou Dort went undrafted and those two are two number one picks yes exactly exactly and Mm -hmm. I think but but both of those guys are like you've been saying victims of 
spacing issues that are beyond their control. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, why isn't it more imperative on somebody else to, to help them figure that out? I think Zion, it's just way too early to, to criticize him for it just because like he hasn't been through like the NBA developmental gauntlet yet. We don't really know what he's going to turn into. And there's so much stuff going on with his body that I think it's just going to take him a while to get acclimated before he can even really start to develop some of that stuff. With Ben, I think the thing you can criticize, though, is that like there just hasn't been a lot of offensive improvement on uh, on any end. Um, you know, I, we were talking earlier in the week and you were talking about how like the hardened trade and everything like kind of it seems like it impacted him. I feel like since then, um, he started to accept his role more, maybe. Well, Sharp, Andrew Sharp came on a couple of weeks ago right after the trade happened. And he was like, I think that the truth is, is that Ben Simmons is closer to Karis LeVert than he is to Giannis, like in terms of how good he is. And I took that very personally. <laughs> but I think the truth of the matter might be that Ben Simmons might be closer to national TV Rondo than he is LeBron. And I, I think I can accept that. You know, like mm -hmm. when I watched Ben Simmons last night, I just saw a guy and like, and you could, we could make all sorts of jokes about like LeBron pumping up clutch stock by allowing Ben Simmons to like go off. But he does seem to kind of rise. Well, I'm to talking certain... about stocks today, by the way. Yes. I, know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do think that he has definitely maybe been humbled by the whole trade thing, you know, and the fact that I, you know, for as much as Daryl Morey and everybody might be like, Ben Simmons is like, we, we want to win a championship with Ben Simmons. I think that like it was pretty candidly out there that like he was on the trading block and that's got to be mm -hmm. like, you know, he was, he was really close to being a Houston Rocket. So he probably sulked about it for a little while, but seems to have mm -hmm. like figured out that like if he plays all defensive team defense every night, like he's an incredibly valuable part of this team. Yeah, it almost feels like, you know, if I, if I try to put myself in his mind, if I think I'm going to be traded, I'm not going to start trying to do all this new stuff just to make a, just to make my team happy, but B what's the point? Like I might get traded and, and like I'll be in Houston just doing whatever the hell I want all over again. So you're, you're saying he's saving his jumper for his next team. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> that would be, that would be really funny if he got into the rocket system and all of a sudden it was just like guns blazing. All I feel good. like that's like a Judd Apatow <laughs> movie where the guy breaks up with his girlfriend and then immediately gets like a dot-com job and like starts tucking his shirts in and, and like just <laughs> like completely grows up and like, like, oh man, I messed up. I should still be dating Seth Rogen. <laughs> Do you think that as we go forward, as like the years go by, you, you talked a little bit about this idea that Draymond could be a, a position almost. Mm -hmm. Who's another player out there that you think could become their own position? Oh, that's a good question. Because I think there are some that are like unattainable, like Kawhi. Like it's like, sure, good luck. You, you, you know, you, I, well, we would all like to duplicate a Kawhi, but like that seems to be like a singular talent, like skill set. Kawhi is also he's very prototypically a small forward, yeah. right? Like he's he's exactly what you'd build in the lab as a small forward. I don't think he like really necessarily pushes the envelope in terms of in terms of futures. Me, like probably the seven foot shooter, right? Yeah, Jaron Jackson Jr younger guy that's that's in the league that's that's pretty much i think the prototype of what you'd want for you know your future center yeah like if weissman can can really develop yeah. a shot from outside mm -hmm. brooke lopez figured it out later in his career i think the biggest thing is just figuring out which one of these skills is replicable right like you're not going to figure out how to be Giannis or lebron you're never going to be as smart as lebron or as athletic but if a big guy can figure out how to shoot then yeah maybe you maybe you're onto something we've probably seen enough evidence of that that you know there's a good chance that we can that we might be able to see some more AD has done a good job of developing a shot like that. Yeah. The whole thing before where it used to be that, you know, 
if you were a certain height, maybe the geometry was just difficult for you. Maybe there's been enough of those guys that that's been sorted out. Maybe that's, that was a myth, but that, that whole, that idea just seems to be over now. Yeah. They figured out how to teach guys how to shoot from that far out if they're that tall. Does any part of you feel like any longing for like much more classical designations of positions? Like, like, do you ever like enjoy watching say like a Utah that seems to have a much more like that's the point guard and that's the combo shooting guard and that's their seven foot defensive center. Like, and obviously mm-hmm. that's really working for them. Although they do have a lot of multifaceted wings also running around the court. Yeah. I like, I love basketball diversity, you know, I think that's like just one of the most fun things about the sport is the fact that you can have a seven footer on the floor with a guy that's six feet tall as well. Like Dennis Schroeder, being on the court with Anthony Davis is just, you know, that, that, that to me is like what makes a game so cool. It's just the fact that it's such a, you know, it's, it's like, it's like looking at like this diverse ecosystem, these coral reefs all just kind of like melting together. Right. So yeah, definitely. I don't love watching when it, there's like, like just a bunch of guys that look like they're trying to be PJ Tucker on the court. Right. Even though I guess some, some of my piece did, did, uh, did kind of suggest that that's what we were heading towards, but I don't really necessarily find that fun. I think it's cool that, those guys have found a place in the league just on an individual level. Right. Um, but if everyone keeps trending towards this, I don't know, we're going to miss out on some stuff. Yeah. I mean, I think that for as much as you might get a team of Draymond's, you also might get like the Larry Drew Hawks where, where you have like Josh Smith and Marvin Williams and Joe Johnson and everybody is six, eight and doesn't really. (laughs) Yeah. So like, I think that there's, there's probably a dark side to that. I think also the fact that we've referenced Judd Apatow movies and coral reefs, Means that we have we really like is this nailed. a ringer podcast? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I should have been I should have been ready for a for a better comeback to like a, a pop culture reference. I will if we ever do this again next time. Yeah, absolutely. I'll ma- yeah, I'll make sure I, I'll I'll spend the night kind of on IMDb do, doing some doing some studying and like oh yeah that'd be funny. Thanks so much. There will be a yeah. quiz at the end. Sarah, thank you so much for joining me. <laughs> Thanks for having me. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man. I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's 3 p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps from Arby's come in. Available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month. 
just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20 for data management practices and additional terms. Visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. All right. I'm more than thrilled. I'm ecstatic to be joined by Rob Mahoney, who's making his return appearance to The Answer. Rob, what's going on? Chris, this is where I live. You know, right. you asked me you asked me to come on to talk positionless basketball. It, it's so much in my lane. I kind of thought you were a spam bot serving me a targeted ad for a second. So I, the reason I wanted to have you on was because I wanted to try and build uh, a dream lineup with you. You're going to do positionless basketball. So you're mm-hmm. going to take guys who don't seem to fit in anywhere, but subsequently fit in everywhere. You can do all sorts of different things on the court from all sorts of different positions. And then I am going to try and come up with the platonic classical lineup of current NBA players where they all have to fit into at least my conception of what those positions do. So Rob, why don't we start with your lineup of positionless all-stars? And and I, I would say we could start a point guard, but I don't even know if we're going to have a point guard. That's a good point. I, first, I have a proposal for you, okay. which is right now I want to take LeBron off the table. Agreed. And and I think I think you know one it's kind of cheating. He's obviously a very a-positional player. He's great. You can't really compete with him. And LeBron knows about cheating because he almost broke <laughs> Joel Embiid's back on Wednesday. So. Okay, okay. But also, I think philosophically, if you're building a positionless team, there's something about putting LeBron on the court that creates a hierarchy that's almost antithetical to it. Like I think players would defer too much to him when if you're going to be positionless, you kind of have to have a free-flowing mentality about it. So I'm I'm putting LeBron kind of in his own category. And so if I'm starting with my, my all-positionless, all-star team, I'm kind of building it around a duo to start. And I, I want to I give a shout-out to Kyle Mann for putting this bug in my head. But I'm starting with Nikola Jokic and Ben Simmons as kind of the core of my positionless team. I think those two guys complement each other really well. And you're kind of starting to set the foundation of what a positionless offense and defense can look like. You know, we're not going to have a traditional point guard in this team by any means. Roles are going to change within possessions, much less within games or with or within quarters or anything like that. So sometimes Nikola Jokic is the hub of your offense. Sometimes Simmons is. Sometimes it's the other guys. But having that flexibility of the best playmaking big we've ever seen and a guy who can stretch the floor, that's kind of where where I'd want to start. Yeah, I don't think you're cheating by doing that. I will. I, I would say that like Jokic is. It's hard to imagine with his body. You, you just look at him and you do think of center, but. Mm-hmm. And I do think that he is like this sort of like next sort of iteration of the Sabonis slick passing European uh, center guard sort of hybrid. But I love I love going off uh, on these two. What what made you put Simmons in there just because you feel like how, how would he work with with Jokic? I think it's the combination with Jokic where Simmons can be a secondary playmaker. He can be a cutter. We've seen him be very successful in the dunker spot this year, moving without the ball. But also, I like him as a pace accelerant. You know, if Jokic is going to be so important to our half-court offense, I want someone who can get us up and down the floor. And then on the defensive side, someone who can guard all kinds of players. I I think that's, when you're talking about positionless basketball, finding guys who can chase point guards might be the weak spot of it. You know, you can find long, wingy types who can guard centers, but can you find guys who are going to chase, you know, the best shooting point guards, the Dame Lillards of the league, around a high screen? And, and Simmons has done a great job of that kind of stuff, that kind of shadowing. So I like the flexibility that he gives me there. But if you have Ben Simmons on your team, 
you know, Jokic is a good start in terms of having a shooter, but you want as much shooting as you can get around him. Yeah, I was going to say we're we're building a, a brick house today, so like let's <laughs> let's see let's see what you do with the last three. <laughs> well, positionless basketball, I think, in the most practical. NBA terms. You know, if you ask Eric Spolstra, when he says positionless basketball, what does he mean? I think he's talking about players who can pass, shoot, and dribble any position on the court. Mm-hmm. They can kind of flow around. So I'm looking at it from that perspective. And here I'm trying to max out my shooting. I'm putting Kevin Durant on this team, who I think from a certain point of view is a prototypical small forward. But then you stretch that player out to seven feet. And then you also, when, when you really think about it, there isn't a single thing on a basketball court that Kevin Durant can't do. And that's what I think gives him this kind of positionless flexibility. So he's, I think he's instrumental on both sides of the ball. And then we can get to the, the rest of the defensive part of that later. But in terms of stretching out our shooting, that's where I think we get to, and you may push back on this in terms of whether this guy is positionless or not, but I'm throwing Steph in here as a positionless player. Interesting. And, and some of that is, I think this kind of exercise really illuminates how positionless he is. Because you can go through this list You can go through LeBron, you can go through Jokic, Simmons, Durant. Say, could Steph play with this guy? And any positionless player in the league, and Steph can play with them. Oh, yeah. I think think that kind of hints at the flexibility in his game. The fact that he is point guard size, but doesn't need to be a point guard. He just has so much give to his game. There was a play going around... Uh, on Twitter, which I think was is one of my favorites of the year that just went around. Like we were recording this on Thursday. It was from a Wednesday night, the Wednesday night Warriors game, where essentially like Steph brought the ball up, then did like six Rip Hamilton curls, like did a one touch like tiki taka pass with Draymond and then wound up in the corner for a three. And that was Steph playing like four different positions in in just one offensive set. So I totally agree with you. Absolutely. And the best screening guard in the league, it should be added too. So, you know, you have all of these qualities that if you're going to have playmaking and passing bigs and wings, you need a guard who's going to give some of that stuff up and the best shooter we've ever seen. So I think that's helping to kind of flesh things out in terms of what this attack would look like. The fifth spot is where it gets tricky. You could go in a lot of different directions with those four guys and what you would want to see in a compliment to them. I kind of defaulted to the easy way out, which is I'm going to take the gigantic stampeding, matchup-breaking MVP of the league in Giannis. Another guy who I think on this team plays a very different role. He, he is similar to Simmons in that he's getting us up and down the court. But then I'm basically triangulating my defense here. You know, we're going to be doing a lot of switching. We're going to be doing a lot of inventive defensive concepts. But it's basically Simmons and Giannis and Durant. You know, the defensive player, an all-league defender, and a guy in Durant who can basically be a first-team defender whenever he decides to be. And they're going to be flying around the court just being bigger than everybody else, putting length on every position we can. We'll hide Steph wherever we need to. Jokic, I think you can build a good defense around him, even if he's not the center of that defense, the anchor of that defense. So I like kind of where that would put us balance-wise and in the flexibility in the spirit of positionless basketball. I think it's, isn't it crazy how close this team is to like an all-NBA first team or second team? Or a combination of like the first three teams is that, We've gotten to the point where this is in and of itself an incredibly valuable part about being an NBA player. Now, like, I think that you could quibble with some of your designations there. Like, mm-hmm. Durant, yeah, like, I think that his physicality and his ability to simply just shoot over any perimeter defender makes him, in some ways, like, the, the, the unicorn of all unicorns. And we're seeing that right now with his comeback from the Achilles. And you know, it's almost like we've lived with Steph too long to realize how revolutionary he is and how he's changed 
like the physics of the NBA game mm-hmm. entirely. But like I, I love I love that team. I mean, like those are five of my favorite NBA players. So it really makes a lot of sense. You're right about though that this is this stuff has almost come so mainstream now. And, you know, that's the development of the league. That's our acceptance of it as the way we talk about basketball, the way fans embrace basketball. I'm curious for you, as as a fellow member of the Republic of Positionless Basketball, what is the next nation left to conquer? Like, now that this stuff kind of is the status quo, what is the next evolution of positionlessness? I kind of think that the NBA, this is is a weird place to put this in, like, the end of a podcast, but I kind of think the NBA is do a coaching revolution. Hmm. Like, I think that there are a couple of guys like Spo and Popovich and Stevens and maybe even Carlisle or like I'm I'm not I'm not being like sweeping or anything, but I think that I don't know if the NBA coaches have caught up with like just how multifaceted the NBA players are. And I wonder whether or not because like you've seen this in soccer where there's been a generation of coaches and a lot of them are concentrated in the Premier League right now who are just fucking geniuses. And when you go and watch Jurgen Klopp teams or Pep Guardiola teams or Marcelo Bielsa teams, they're doing things that football teams were not doing 20 years ago. And I don't know necessarily that you can always say that about basketball teams. I think you can say that about basketball players. But I think that there's a lot of orthodoxy built into the tall guy needs to stand over there. The guy who can shoot stands over here. The guy with the best handle brings the ball up and initiates the offense. But needs to make sure other people get their shots first. And also like just these ideas of like, are there positions or are there just like spaces on the floor that you want mm-hmm. people to occupy? Yeah. That's the thing that they're doing in, in football right now or in soccer is like, it's not so much whether or not this guy's a fullback or a winger. It's that he is on the left and he has the right to come in. But for the most part, he patrols this huge zone and he can create from there and he can defend from there and he has responsibilities but i'm not thinking about this in terms of like whether or not he can do x y or z as a fixed position i'm thinking about what he can do because he has those skills and i'd be kind of fascinated to have this conversation in like 3 or 4 years i don't know who the next like game changing coach is who's going to come along and really like fundamentally reimagine and i also don't know if nba teams have the patience or the tolerance for somebody who might like take on a lot of water before his ideas worked out. Um, can you think of like, who's the last coach where it was like, wow, this person's really trying something different. Like when that person, who's the last person to do that? I mean, there's lots of differences, but it's within the same orb of, of sameness, right? Yeah. Like there, there's variations within the scope of the league, but I don't know in terms of like really pushing boundaries. Those are the kinds of things that often will get coaches fired or really will prevent them from trying adventurous things in the first place. Yeah. So, I mean, I was going to come up with like a pretty classical lineup for you, like of, of current NBA players. And I realized after kind of sorting through them that the, the classical lineup that I'm thinking of is the Suns. <laughs> um, that, the, that the idea that I was thinking about was uh, if somewhat undersized, like a floor general offense initiator, person who was going to make sure that everybody got the ball in their hands, especially in the first three quarters, but was capable of adding a lot of offense in the end of games. That's Chris Paul. I was thinking of a sweet shooting mobile two guard who can also do a little bit of playmaking, but for the most part is the guy that if you need to get bailed out late in the shot clock, or if you want to find him coming off of a screen and do a off the catch shot, that's Devin Booker. When I'm thinking about the guy who in my mind is like, you know, obviously Kawhi is like probably the the small forward that we think of when we close our eyes, but I don't think Mikhail Bridges is that far off from that. Not, 
he's not he's pretty far away from being Kawhi, obviously. But when I think of a small forward in my mind, I'm kind of thinking of Mikhail Bridges at this point. Like mm-hmm. decent handle, really good defense, solid, solid outside shooter, and is obviously adding things to his game and getting better and better. And then DeAndre Ayton, for all his flaws, is kind of like a pretty prototypical center that you would want. He's like got rim protection. He gives you some offense. He gives you easy buckets, especially early in the game. And yeah, he might get played off the court in the playoffs. But if you want like the prototypical five, you could do a lot worse than Aiden. I guess my job is to figure out who my four is. Yeah, that's I mean, that's the tricky part. Who's my six, nine banger? Because like those, I feel like now six, nine bangers are either in the way of the center or are in the way of the big guard who's trying to get in like the power forward position is now it's it's more often than not you're expecting those guys to be stretches. Yeah, or or they just have straight up become centers now. Yeah, right. So who can you think of like who your favorite classic power forward is right now? I'm I'm trying to run through the list in my head. I, and... I mean, all due respect to AD, like he's not a power forward. He's just a center on vacation. Yeah, and I think his game might be too adventurous for a yeah. like box in orthodox power forward kind of skill set. I mean, it would have to be somebody with some back-to-the-basket game, which we're just, our exposure to who can actually do that right now is pretty limited just because guys aren't given the opportunities. And they're not they're not funneled in that way, developmentally yeah. anymore. That, that's it as much as anything. I wonder if we're just kind of developing out the prototypical power forward to the point where, I, you know, there certainly aren't any guys operating at like an all-star level or a near all-star level who fit that bill. No, I mean, I in some ways, I don't think I've thought about that position in the same way since Chris Bosh. You know, ever, ever since Bosch and, and those Heat teams played, like, I don't think I've thought about, wow, what you guys really need is another dude to stand on the blocks and box out, you know? And and the the whole idea of rebounding is such, like, a a debatable, like, like not skill, but it's a debatable of value to teams because you see teams just completely abandoning the offensive yeah. rebound anyway. Um, so maybe our listeners can tell us who they think the classic power four is right now. Uh, but, but but for the most part, I think that the Suns pretty much capture the, the classic lineup. Rob, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for, for your positionless all-stars. Hey, anytime. Yeah, we'll talk to you again soon. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.